Welcome to IP Frequently. IP Frequently is brought to you by Dominion Harbor Enterprises and is sponsored by IPedia. IPedia, innovation clarity that provides real, actionable patent intelligence. Join our hosts, David Pridham and Brad Sheaf, advancing the issues of intellectual property. Hello and welcome to another episode of IP Frequently. We are back here on beautiful Rumstick Point on a warm but pleasant summer's day. IP Frequently, the top-rated podcast in the intellectual property space in 2017, correct? Certainly within the... Uh, and the number one selling podcast t-shirt in the United States. Again, certainly within our line of sight, both of those things are true. We're very excited for those, both those... And we've got an exciting, we've got an exciting episode in front of us here, my friend. We're going to have a, a guest on one Professor Adam Mossoff from the great George Mason University Antonin Scalia School of Law. Correct. I believe him to be the founder of the Center for the Protection of Intellectual Property. We're going to find that out here because Adam is on the phone with us as we speak. And on the phone with us now is Professor Adam Mossoff of the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. Professor Mossoff is the founder of the Center for the Protection of Intellectual Property and is now a director of academic programs and a senior scholar there. Adam, we really appreciate you being on uh, IP frequently with us today. As you are well aware, there's a lot going on uh, in the IP world in terms of not only pending legislation, um, but also the the recent actions of the Supreme Court, other cases that the Supreme Court is taking up, like oil states and SASV Lee, they're going to have a huge impact on the future of um, of our patent system and certainly the way our, our patent system is practiced in the real world. And so I think that's that's probably where we'll start. I think we're just looking for you to give us a little bit of, of your view of those things and kind of how they impact the overall market, how, what you think the future might look like uh, to the extent that you have a, a crystal ball for that. And then, you know, not only in terms of what the Supreme Court is doing, but also what Congress is trying to do, particularly with the Stronger Patents Act. Well, uh, thank you, David, and thank you, Brad. It's great to be to be on your podcast. It's uh it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys about patent policy and, and the developments in patent law. Um, so I, I, I suppose to begin with, we should just kind of frame the discussion. And as I mentioned in my, in my testimony before the, um, the House Judiciary Committee uh, last month, you know, that there, you know, we, we have a real problem right now in the patent system and the innovation economy more generally because we've had about a decade of a substantial number of Supreme Court decisions and um, the Supreme Court is engaging with patent law um, at a level that we haven't seen for over 100 years. And almost every one of those decisions, about 98% of them, have uh, either weakened uh, patent rights or outright eliminated them. And we're talking about you know, patent eligibility and patent licensing um, and even in patent enforcement doctrines. Um, the court has consistently come out and said uh, patent owners have less rights or even no rights. Um, and this has had a huge impact on the ability for um, inventors and companies working in the innovation economies uh, I, I think your company in particular is sensitive to these issues as well, uh, you know, to, to rely upon these kind of stable and effective property rights that have existed in this country. I mean, when you, and when you map on top of the, uh, what's happening in the Supreme Court with the, you know, the ongoing press in, you know, in, in, in Congress for uh, patent legislation that does the same thing. The patent legislation always 
consistently is directed at weakening and eliminating patent rights. It never talks about you know, the, the, the abuses of, of, of the patent system by infringers um, or, by, uh, or by descendants. It's always about you know, the, uh, the anecdotes of a few bad actors in the patent system and then, and then uh, improperly generalizing from that to the entire patent system, which is wrong. Um, and then you have all these regulatory actions at the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice with respect to standard essential patents and patent licensing more generally. And so, you know, for lack of a better term, what we have now right now in, in Washington, D.C. And, and, and in the innovation economy more generally is, frankly, is, is a moral panic about the patent system and its foundational role in our economy. And um, this does not bode well for the future of our own innovation economy um, or, um, or the future of, um, of you know, the, 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 our, our high standards of living and the, and the technology that we've all come to, uh, to rely upon in our day-to-day -day lives that, uh, that was brought to us by the patent system, our, our, our high-tech phones, our mobile phones. Are on our amazing uh, medical treatments and biotech uh, treatments that we get when we go to the doctor. So, Adam, um, and, and I think that's a great, I think that's a great um, overview of the playing field. But so, one of the questions I always ask is, how did we get here from a narrative standpoint, right? And so, you 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 always hear, and, and you referenced it um, at the start in this in this concept of bad actors on the patent owner side. And I, I always hear the narrative of this letter-writing campaign where folks are writing letters to mom-and-pop diners and shutting down small businesses based on letter-writing campaigns, and, and folks don't know what to do, and they're sending money in and, 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 and paying off you know, what, what's positioned as sort of ransom payments to patent owners. But in reality, I've only seen one example of that actually happening, and, and I think in that example... The, um, the 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 party was punished pretty severely. Is that a false narrative? Uh, yes, in fact, that's is what I spent a lot of my time on in um, in my in my testimony before Congress. My repeated testimony the past several years is you know this the so-called you know patent troll narrative that has been developed, and this has really been developed through a. Uh, unfortunately, what, what can only be described as a perfect storm of a coming together of a lot of different um, players um, in uh, patent policy and the innovation economy more generally, right? So you've had generally over the past 20 or 30 years a, a, a deep skepticism about intellectual property within the academy among law professors um, who um, – who are inclined to constantly write articles about um, about uh, the problems in patents and the problems in the patent system. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, kind of the more one of the more mundane ones is, of course, is that no one ever, is this classic kind of adage in the academy that no one ever got a PhD saying the world is working just fine. So they're always looking for problems to write about. Um, and um, and uh, um, so they had this deep skepticism, and then uh, you have companies who were very interested in, 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 in promoting a narrative that the patent system was problematic because these are companies whose business models were not predicated upon patents but were relied upon other types of intellectual property rights or, or more, more generally were, you know, infringer-type uh, business models and that they, you know, that they, so they had an immediate kind of pragmatic short-term interest in, in getting people to access as much uh, you know, protected content and protected technology as possible. Um, and so they started pushing and lobbying extensively and spending hundreds of millions of dollars lobbying within Washington, D.C. over the past eight years to weaken the patent system. And so they so they was they brought to the forefront a lot of the academic writings 
that have been very skeptical about the patent system. So they were pointing to the patent, they were, they were pointing to these academics saying, see, there's all these problems. And then the academics, unfortunately, some academics, we they talk about bad actors in the patent system, like you mentioned uh, the company MPHJ, which was the one that was sending, um, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, false and deceptive demand letters. Um, you know, yes, there's, there's some bad actors in every legal system. There's some bad actors in, in, in the commercial system and in, in, in property. You know, there's the old there's the old guy with the pipe who chases the kids down the street. You know, we all have that, we've all had that neighbor or experienced that person in our neighborhood, and we don't say, ah, we should get rid of all trespass doctrine because this old guy is going crazy. I mean, and so, yes, we have a... We have a couple bad actors in the patent system among the millions of patent owners. And, um, and unfortunately, we have some bad actors in the academy who produced some junk science studies that were promoted and pushed. Um, the most notorious is the so-called, you know, patent trolls caused $29 billion in, in costs in 2011, which is a totally bogus study. It's been debunked repeatedly. Um, and yet it gets continually invoked by congresspersons and by policy advocates in D.C., and so you kind of have this perfect storm of some, you know, companies who's in their immediate interest to lobby for legislation, to lobby and engage in strategic litigation, and lobby for court cases and regulatory action. And you've got academics whose works, you know, is being invoked by these companies and is being pushed by these companies, these companies in the policy debates. And you end up with this kind of perfect storm of this, this policy narrative that's been framed in Washington D.C. and has been pushed into newspapers. Um, to the, uh, that, you know, the patent system is broken. If you Google that phrase, the patent system is broken, I think you get like several hundred thousand hits, if not a couple million hits. And that's, that's, that, that's just crazy to, to think that. Hey, Adam, uh, let, you know, let we me... We are living in an amazing system today brought to us by the patent system. Yeah, let, let, me, let, let me interject there for just a second because you, you raise an interesting point, right? So, you know, you, we've got this sort of, um, you know, just wave of one party playing off another with, you know, an ill-founded narrative around patent trolling. And you talk about congresspersons latching on to junk science and then using it to formulate policy. As I'm sure many of our listeners are aware, you recently appeared before Congress and testified there. And I'm just interested in your opinion about not only that experience and, and sort of what the feel in the room was like, but also whether or not you think congresspersons truly are educated on the issue and are, and are trying to take a stand they believe is principled, or do you think this is largely just a, a lobbying effort or maybe even as dark as there's a lot of money to be made here on one side of this story? of all of those um, at, at, varying, at varying levels of, of, of um, significance, depending upon the particular congresspersons um, and the particular individuals. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the narrative is so taken over, you know, Washington, D.C., and has been dominant in D.C. for so long the past, as I said, mentioned about eight to ten years, um, that, you know, when I'm invited to testify, and I've testified now three times, I, I'm, I've, I've always been, you know, the, the you know, the uh, veritable uh, pig in the parlor at the party. I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm the, I'm the one, one guy they trot out to show that they're, quote, balanced, unquote. <laughs> um, and so, that, so it hasn't been a very receptive uh, experience, and you know, and, and 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 three or four years ago, I you know I was you know grilled extensively by Senator McCaskill the very first time I testified about how dare I suggest that the definitions of patent troll that are being used by companies like Unified Patents and by and by uh, policy organizations like Public Patents and Public Knowledge and EFF. Um, you know, would cover and include classic American innovators like Charles Goodyear and Thomas Edison, 
and even Nikola Tesla, um, who all licensed to their inventions um, and did not manufacture um, at various times in their careers. And, um, and you know, they're just aghast that I would be saying this to them. They're sho- they're, they're, they express shock and surprise, and, and they refuse to believe me. In fact, uh, just last month when I was testifying again, Daryl Issa was, was, you know, responded derisively to me. Oh, this is the first time I've ever heard Thomas Edison would be considered a patent troll. And, I, you know, in, you know in, in the response to that is the shoe fits. I mean, that's the definition of patent troll that you, uh, Congressman Issa, are using. And it applies to Edison. Um, and, and I think that they need to hear this more and more. Um, you know, because there are some in Congress, I think, who do care about innovation and about the patents, about secure property rights and innovation. Um, you know, Senator Coons, who introduced the, uh, uh, the Stronger Patent Act, and, and, and Congressman Massey uh, in the House, among many others. And, um, you know, and, and so they're fighting a, a battle against this narrative, and we should be helping them and supporting them by providing them the real facts, the real data, and the real evidence, both historically and today. You know, one thing, Adam, that's concerning to me is, and I, I, I a little bit biased here, I went to George Mason, and one of the reasons I did was because it, it provides a very, very good conservative um, legal education. And when you look at the playing field here, a lot of the traditional, um, you know, quote unquote, Republican conservative legislators are on the wrong side of this issue, and a lot of the much more liberal Democrats are on the right side of this issue. So, for example, at the hearing the other day, Uh, You have Rep. Issa, Rep. Goodlot, um, some otherwise conservative um, reps uh, who who are totally buying into the false narrative hook, line, and sinker. And then you have John Conyers, um, who who seemed like the the, the first one to step up uh, as a member of Congress in that hearing and really defend the, the need to protect these property rights. So what do you think about that, and why do you think that dynamic is taking place? Oh, that's, that, that's a really great question, and it's something that I've been kind of observing for a very long time now, as I've, as I've seen many many Republicans kind of fall in lockstep almost behind this push for patent legislation that fundamentally weakens and undermines the patent system. And, um, you know, and it's not simply a story that they've been written large checks, although for some of them it may, that may be the case. Um, you know, uh, in, in, my, in my conversations with them, what, I, what I've discovered is, is that um, they've been they've been sold a uh, you know a story about the patent system and about patent litigation, and the story is that is that it is uh, it, it is a litigation system you know out of control. In other words, they've they've been they've been sold the story that that to pass this legislation is a, is tort reform. In fact, I was explicitly told that by a couple um, several years ago that this is tort reform, um, because and then that came up in the context of my explaining to them that all the problems that they're they're talking about are the alleged problems, uh, you know, the, the anecdotes are anecdotes that you find everywhere else in the, in, 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 in in federal court system and in litigation, you know, with contract disputes and property disputes. And the person said, exactly, this is tort reform, and we're starting with the patent system, and we're going to we're going to leverage that to enact more. Reform. So I realized, and I did some investigation, and I realized that actually, this, so this was the, the, you know, the pitch that was being given to the Republicans. You've been trying to pass tort reform for all of these years. You've been unsuccessful in doing it. Well, here you can do it. Here you will do it. You know. You, do with the patent system. We dress these patent trolls. Everyone agrees patent trolls are bad. This this rhetorical epithet that you know smears Edison and great inventors. And um, 
um, you know, and um, and then you'll be so successful you'll be able to leverage that to enact more more global tort reform. Um, and they, what what the Republicans don't realize is that they've been sold a bill of goods here because. You know, because the companies that have been pushing this um, are, first of all, are not advocates for tort reform. They're advocates for weakening patents. And, w- and what that means is weakening property rights. Um, and they also know that this is going to be a complete disaster. So for them, this is a two-for-win. Because not only if this patent legislation is enacted, do they weaken patent rights and therefore undermine property rights and innovation and undermine the property rights that have driven our innovation economy for well over 200 years, as economists and historians repeatedly have shown. But... From now on, when Republicans want to enact real tort reform and address the problems in the tort system, everyone will point to how they destroy the patent system, which is what invariably is going to happen from this legislation. And they're going to say, we're not letting you touch any other aspect of litigation. And and, and this is exactly what I think the, the companies that have been lobbying for this expect and are looking for, um, because it's a two-for-win for them, because they're opposed to tort reform and they want to weaken the patent system, and they get both by convincing Republicans to push for this legislation. So, Adam, what I mean, that, that that's interesting. I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone else give the perspective of saying, you know, you're, you're sort of getting having your cake and eating it, too, by putting this forth as tort reform, knowing that it's going to cause a disaster, a disaster that benefits you. And that knowing because of that disaster, you're going to forestall any additional tort reform, which you don't want. So what do you think the solution is? in terms of those who are concerned about the patent system, who sort of see the writing on the wall here, know how damaging this can be. We hear all the time, hey, write your congressman, make them aware, et cetera, et cetera. And and, and okay, that's great. That's democracy. We should do that. But as you well know, Congress is far less of a representative democratic institution and much more of a business motivated by money as most businesses are. So what, what is the solution here, at least in your view? Yes, you know, the, so, I mean, so first of all, we, we have to stop trying to respond to the patentful narrative and the studies, um, because that's a con- because that's part of the game that they're playing, right, is that if, if, if we're constantly in response mode, they're, they're setting the terms of the debate. They're constantly moving the ball forward, and we're, and, and we're constantly on defense. And, and with that sports analogy, if you're, if you're always playing defense and never offense, you're never going to win. So, so, you, we, so you, we need to go on the offense in the sense. We need to start establishing that, look, we're, not, we're talking about property rights, weakening property rights. You're talking about the same type of weakening of property rights that you would do if you took away people's uh, landlord's rights when they rent um, apartments to tenants, that they took away their rights to sue trespassers and squatters uh, and, and, and have them removed from their property for unlawfully uh, you know, uh, accessing their property. Um, so we have to start framing this as this is no different than property rights in your home. If someone invades your home, this is no different if you're a landlord and someone just breaks into an apartment and refuses to leave. You know, you can you can call upon the, the legal system to defend your property rights in that instance, and this is what patent owners need to do when they're dealing with infringers. So that's on the issue of why we shouldn't be weakening patent rights, but then we also have to address and explicitly talk about the fact that all of this constant din in D.C. about the legislation that would weaken patent rights and 
the actual decisions coming down from the Supreme Court, the recent decision in impression products that totally eliminated patent licensing rights across the board and upended a, well over 150 or 180 years of established licensing of patent innovation and the innovation economy. You know, the, the, the patent eligibility cases, you know, the, the, the four decisions, Bilski, Myriad, Mayo, and Alice, you know, what, uh, what I refer to as the four horsemen, given the, just the swath of destruction that they've wrought in our innovation economy. Um, you know, the, you know, the eBay, um, the elimination of the ability to get injunctions. You know, we have, you know, these are actual decisions that have actually weakened patents and actually have already weakened property rights innovation. And we need to start explaining to them what, what that means. And there's actual evidence on that now. Innovation is leaving this country. Um, there are, you know, I just published a study that showed that 1,700 patent applications that were, that were rejected, patent applications, on radical, you know, therapeutic medical treatments that were rejected in the United States. These same patents on the same applications were granted in China and Europe. Um, this, you know, you talk to venture capitalists, they tell you venture capital funding is leading to places like China and Europe. Another point that Daryl Issa just, you know, derisively said to me, oh, this is the first time I've heard this about China. It's like, well, maybe you should start listening more for, for uh, Congressman Issa because this is a, this is a fact. Um, you know, and the you know, and for the very first time, you know, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, their, their, their global index of the strength of patent systems, for the very first time this year ever, the United States fell from number one to number ten. Tenth, we're behind Italy in terms of the strength of our patent system. <laughs> so, this is, see, portends very dark consequences for the future of this country, our economic growth, jobs, and our standard of living. And we need to start putting this data and information in front of the congresspersons. Um, I, I hit on these points repeatedly in my in my remarks, and you know, and for and and many of the congresspersons were saying at the hearing last month that this was so, oh, I didn't hear about the the global you know index of patent strength. This is concerning to me. Well, you know, they, we need to start making it put it putting this front and center because um, otherwise, you know, we are at an inflection point with our patent system. We are in a crisis, you know, and um, and if we don't fix this, if we don't respond to this appropriately um, and start and, and, and right the ship, the ship's going to start sinking, and and that and that portends badly for all of us. So, Adam, we're we're at the point in the in the podcast where usually Brad makes his Tour de France predictions, but we're <laughs> we're not going to do that here because we have a guest on. Um, so we'll do sort of three. We're going to ask you three different um, uh, topics for you to predict the the future and shake the old magic eight ball if you will and just a brief right. answer we can go one two three and then we can wrap this up so so first the stronger patent act will it will some version of that pass in this congress uh the stronger patent act is a fantastic piece of legislation it should be enacted it probably won't be enacted given the fact that most of the Republican leadership um, are opposed to the types of necessary true reforms that the Stronger Patent Act contains. You know, it, it, it addresses head-on the problems at the, the PTAB, and that is an administrative tribunal run amok, um, and it is destroying uh, patents uh, and, and real innovation left and right, um, and it needs to be constrained and, 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 and reined in. It's, you know, this is, this is classic regulatory overreach. Um, you know, the problem is, is that 
As I said, the Republican leadership doesn't right now has shows no interest in this. Um, you know, they, they they're so caught up in the bad and in the bad and in wrong narrative. Um, but also, you know, the Supreme Court just granted cert in oil states versus Green Energy Corp, which squarely addresses the issue of whether the PTAB is constitutional or not. And 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 just as a practical matter, Congress will never reform an agency when the Supreme Court could potentially declare in eight months that the entire agency is unconstitutional anyway. So this kind of puts puts everything in abeyance. But if the Supreme Court comes out and says, no, the PTAP's constitutional, we're not going to touch this, um, then we definitely should push for the stronger panic. I mean, it's going to re- the ball returns back to Congress, and we definitely should push for it to be enacted and start changing minds in Congress. So the second thing on my list was oil states. What What is the Supreme Court going to do there? Well, you know, um, I, 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 I think the PTAP is unconstitutional. Um, I, you know, I think that it is, uh, it, as I said, it's a, it's a classic example of, a, of an unconstrained and unrestrained administrative, uh, administrative agency running amok, destroying what are classically uh, defined private property rights and inventors. Um, the, you know, longstanding um, Supreme Court decisions and other federal court decisions going back all the way to the early 19th century that says these are private property rights protected under the Constitution, and you have an administrative agency that is providing zero due process to patent owners that is violating their, 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 their due process rights and their property rights left and right. Uh, I mean, untold number of examples of this. Um, you know, I, we could spend an entire hour just detailing all of the problems with the, uh, the PTAB, and I won't go into it. Um, but uh, so I think that this, the Supreme Court should. Um, hold that the, uh, the, the PTAB is, an, is unconstitutional. Um, it is fundamentally defective at its root. Um, and the problem is, is that Supreme Court has shown repeatedly, especially in the past several years, that it is completely caught up in this moral panic about the patent system. Um, and so I am, uh, just as a realistic matter, I'm, I, I'm, I'm somewhat pessimistic that the Supreme Court will see through this moral panic to the true kind of constitutional issues um, uh, that are at stake. Uh, and the best example of this is the Impression Products decision. It was unanimous, written by Chief Justice Roberts, of all people. And this is this is an awful, awful decision that caught us, that you know that 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 takes this dicta by Chief Justice Taney, the author of the Dred Scott decision, this radical Jacksonian Democrat who totally policy driven in all of his decisions, and totally converts this into alleged long-standing patent law um, that completely upends, as I mentioned earlier, the entire uh, established licensing rights and and, and commercial practices of owners of patents in our innovation economy since the start of the patent system. And so, um, you know, and that was written by Chief Justice Roberts, and that decision is rife with references to patents as monopolies and, and and that they need to be constrained. And so I'm just, you know, Chief Justice, I'm sorry, Justice Thomas is the author of the of author of Alice. So I'm just very concerned that the Supreme Court um, can kind of overcome what is, you know, the the the, the just um, the, the the precedent that it's established in the past several years, where it shows that they are kind of caught up in this this moral panic that has swept through D.C. Um, so I'm worried um, in the oil states decision. I, I'm hopeful, but worried. We, I, th- I think we're in the we're in the same boat. And anytime you you roll out Judge Tawney, you know you're, uh, you know you're 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 reaching at least in my view. Uh, before we get to the final part of the lightning round, I'll remind everyone that our guests all receive an IP frequently T-shirt, and based on our decision, some of them do receive the big box of rice aroni. So just so you're, we're clear on that. Uh, final question. Only, only if it's the extra spicy version. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's something that we, we both have to agree on. It's 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 a it's a rare treat. Um, the, the the who is going to be the next director of the patent office? Oh, 
that's uh, that's another great question. You know, you know, it's always dangerous to ask academics these questions because uh, you know academics are are awash with ex- uh, with expertise and very little actual knowledge. <laughs> so, um, so um, well, the the you know the ideally. So I'll start with who should be the director of the patent office. Ideally, it should be Phil Johnson. Um, you know, you know, he he you know. He's someone who, um, you know, the former general counsel, uh, uh, Johnson Johnson, I mean, someone who worked his way up um, through Johnson Johnson, a company whose entire business model is predicated upon the creation and commercialization of patent innovation. Um, he has seen it from all sides, the, the, you know, the, the, the institutional side and legal side. Um, and more specifically, as general counsel at Johnson Johnson, you know, he, he is he has experience and expertise in managing, you know, a very, you know, large uh, department. You know, in the patent office is, what, 12,000 people? Um, and you need someone there who has so extreme, extensive experience in what it means to, uh, to create and to commercialize and to enforce patent rights. Um, and you need someone who has kind of institutional and commercial experience in, in terms of kind of managing large departments and large organizations. And, you know, and, and he just typifies all of that perfectly. Unfortunately, I don't know, and he, hasn't, he doesn't seem to be the person that the, that the current administration is looking to. The current kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, person who's rumored that will be taking over is this, is this guy Andre Nachu at Irela Manila, um, who's a patent lawyer um, and um, is, a, uh, is a partner there, um, and is largely an unknown. Um, so, um, you know, very, very little is known about him. He's written very little, except uh, his publications are on very technical, you know, specific legal details. Um, so there, it's, it's, it's hard to uh, it's hard to predict or gauge. But the, you know, his his name is the name that keeps popping up in the rumor mill in D.C. as to kind of the person who's likely going to be appointed as director. Well, all right, Adam. Thanks very much. Appreciate you participating in the lightning round. We'll get together, get our heads together on um, size of rice aroni, style of rice aroni, manner of delivery. We'll get with you. Uh, our producer will get with you on that after the uh, after the show. And uh, details. We, get those down. <laughs> we do, we do. We don't want to leave any of that stuff out. And so, again, we we much appreciate your time. We much appreciate your expertise and your opinion and your willingness to kind of go out on the ledge a little bit with us and and do some predicting. And we look forward to the next time we'll have a chance to talk. Well, thank you, Brad. Thank you, David. It's a, it was a real pleasure. You guys are always fun to chat with. All right, buddy. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Well, our thanks again to Professor Adam Mossoff. We certainly appreciate his time. We appreciate his insight. It's always great to have somebody on who's got that depth of knowledge and who is that plugged into what's going on uh, in the patent market and has even been invited to, to speak at Congress, albeit as uh, sort of the whipping boy, which is unfair. But You know, that's what happens when the narrative is as lopsided as it is and the money is as deep on one side as it is shallow on the other. But we will maintain an upbeat perspective here on IP Frequently. We We will keep calm and we will persevere. Persevere. Carry on, my friend. Keep calm. Carry on. Off into the sunset. Continue to fight the battle for the small innovator. That's who we are. But that does not mean that the the podcast is going to end because we're going to continue to do this because it's been so well received. Again, it's the number one intellectual property podcast in the market. Um, the Would You Rather segment is being heralded by many, and folks are just coming up to us on the street saying, when can we get 
uh, and where can we get that children's book of yours? And again, that'll be out in the fall. We'll have more details on that. The T-shirts, they're going to be uh, being sent to many of our uh, our, our loyal listeners, especially those who live stream the events. So we're very excited, excited for the future. Thrilled. Thrilled for the future here on IP Frequently. We thank you for your time, and we look forward to seeing you next time.